Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Good morning. How are you guys? Awake. That's good. That's good. Good for you. Oh, man. Uh, well, my name's Austin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Rosewood, and today we're starting a new mini-series uh, that we're calling The Content Life, um, because the content life is something that everybody, everybody wants. Uh, this, this kind of uh, peaceful, happy, everything's there, everything you need, everything's covered kind of life. Not afraid of losing anything. You feel like you've got everything that you need, and, and um, you know, this is, we all envision it different ways, but we all kind of in the same way have this desire. And it's certainly not like a strictly Christian uh, desire that we have, not even religious. It's, it's something that I think everybody uh, has this kind of inner desire towards some sort of contentment. Though I will argue as we go through here that the, the highest level of contentment is absolutely a gift from God. But whether you're a, um, whether you're a religious person or not, um, contentment has a necessary prerequisite uh, to be true in your life. Contentment requires security. So if, if you have no security in your life, then good luck trying to be content oftentimes. So if you, uh, it's hard to be financially content if you feel like your job is at risk or, or you're going to somehow, you know, lose all of your money. It's hard to be or impossible to be relationally content if you feel like you're going to be abandoned by everyone around you at any moment. Uh, how do you, how are you, how is a person spiritually content if they feel like their God could turn on them or stop loving them? So, so contentment requires security. But the lesson that we seem to learn and then forget and then learn again and forget and learn again just over and over and over again is that nothing in this world can provide lasting security. That people disappoint us and things break. The world can't provide lasting security. And, and because that's true, it means that the world can't make you content. Now, that's not like a, that's not a threat. Uh, I'm not saying watch out, everything's going to be gone, turn to Jesus. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just pointing out what we've all learned. In fact, in the last three years, we've all learned that things that we thought were always going to be there might not be there. So nothing in this world can really make us content because nothing can provide lasting security that's in this world. And, and not only, is, is, um, not only is, is the world just unpredictable, um, that, and it steals our contentment, but also contentment is elusive, okay? Because contentment is a moving target if it's not grounded, it, or if it is grounded in what the world gives you. It, when, when your contentment is grounded in what the world gives you, what you and I end up saying over and over and over again, that the mantra of our life is that if I just had blank, it'd be enough. I'd be, I'd be satisfied, peaceful, and happy. If I just had 
whatever it is, that relationship, that amount of money, that investment, that job, if I just had it, then I would finally be satisfied, peaceful, and happy. But come on, you, we have all filled in that blank, achieved what we put in that blank, and we're still hungry for more. We're still unsatisfied. And so we've put something else in that blank, and we achieve it. And it's still not enough over and over and over again. And that's what happens when, content, when contentment is hinged upon things that we can fill in the blank with, things that are in this world. And, and our aim over the, next, uh, over the next three weeks is going to be to look at three practices that can help us to connect and commune with Jesus, the one who gives us the truest and deepest contentment. And the three ways that we're going to look at are generosity, simplicity, and solitude. All right, but this is not, um, don't get me wrong, this is not like some sort of like three easy steps to achieve the good life kind of thing. That, w- that would be the same problem, just like packaged with a little bit of Jesus and said, you know, here you go. The root problem would, would still exist there. Instead, these three weeks, we're going to begin, every week, we're going to begin with the most secure and, and most content-driven part of ourselves, which is our identity in Christ, our identity as a child of God, and we're going to work out from there. In other words, it isn't, this isn't going to be how you earn contentment. That's not what this whole series is about. What, what's underneath all of this, every one of these weeks, is that contentment is a gift that has been given to you by grace through Christ. These are simply means of living into the gift that you've already been given. So the first that we're going to look at, the first that we're going to look at uh, in terms of contentment, we're going to look at generosity. And we're going to look at a story from Jesus's life from Luke 12. Uh, One day while Jesus was surrounded by a crowd who was hearing him teach and, and such as they were often doing, a man who was struggling with his own contentment ran up to him and, and he said to him, Teacher, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. All right. So if I just had that money, if I just had those possessions, if I just had those animals, if I just had whatever it is that's a part of that inheritance, if I just had that, I would have enough. I guess it doesn't matter about his relationship with his brother that's willing to be sacrificed if he could just have this one thing. Now, it wasn't like all out of the ordinary for someone to approach a rabbi like Jesus and try to have them mediate some sort of disagreement like this. However, this guy's not asking Jesus to mediate. He's asking him to take sides, specifically his side, and to tell his brother what he wants him to tell him. So Jesus is now just a tool to help get what he wants uh, from his family or, or from his brother. Now, Jesus, though, doesn't take the bait. He responds in an interesting way. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Since when? I mean, since, since when? Because I don't know about you, but what I hear and what I so often see modeled and valued in the world around me is that life does consist in an abundance of possessions. That, that, that's the status quo. The status quo is sacrifice a lot to get a little bit more. 
Be gone with, you know, sacrifice your faith, sacrifice your family, sacrifice your time, sacrifice your health, whatever it is, just for another dollar, another room, another toy, another thing to make that person you don't like jealous of what you have, right? That's how it works. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Yes, it does. It's almost as if, maybe, Jesus, when he said life, was referring to something beyond biology and something beyond the status quo that we might have grown accustomed to. Because then he told them this parable, so a story. He goes to tell a story. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant, yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if I read this story of this man to you, and you didn't know it was in the Bible, and you didn't know what might come next, you might read this and think, that guy's living my best life. Right? Because isn't he basically, he's describing retirement. Right? This farmer worked really hard, it wasn't given this abundance. He, he worked hard. And then especially one year, he had a really good year, and it was enough to store up in his barns. In fact, he needed to take some of that and build bigger barns to save even more, and he was able to live off of his investments and the things that he had. He's basically describing successful retirement. He's describing what so many of us spend 50 years of working and planning to achieve. This guy just did it. So again, if you didn't know that this was you know, where Jesus might be going with this, you might think Jesus is affirming everything that this man has been saying, that contentment truly can be found in an abundance of things. But Jesus isn't done. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So what the man asking this question and the man in the parable and what many of us don't realize about contentment is that this life that we're living, that, we're try, that we are aiming to the, the best of our ability to live towards a peaceful, satisfied life isn't always what we think it is. That so much of us, so much of life can be compared to just trying to ascend a mountain. That we're all trying to, to climb this mountain of life, to get a little more, to get a little higher, to get to the places that we want to go. But the truth of the matter is that for us in life, though we are headed towards that peak, that thing that we're headed for, that, that, we, that we want to go to, that we saw and we said, if I just get there, right? That this life that we live has so many false summits. So many places that we think is the top, but it's not. So a, a false summit, just for, for, all you, uh, for all you non-hikers out there, which we're in Michigan, who's a hiker, really? But uh, uh, a, a, a false summit is, um, is a, a mountain peak that looks like the top from when you're on the mountain, but it's not because you just can't see the top. Here's a picture to describe what I mean. So you're hiking a mountain. You look up. You see the peak. That's where you're going. You think it's the top, but then you get there and you realize that that peak was blocking that peak the one you wanted to get to. Now, when you're on the ground looking up at the mountain, you see what the actual peak is. But once you get on the mountain, it's not as easy to tell what, 
which peak is, is which on, on some mountains. And for one, this can be very disappointing, right? Because when you're hiking and you think you're going there, you're pacing yourself and your energy in such a way, your, your, your legs are aching, right? If you're like in Colorado, you're, you know, you have like no oxygen and you're hot and you're tired and you're like, I just want to get there because when I'm there, there I will have the view. There I will be able to eat, drink, and be merry. There I will have what I have been wanting to do. When you're on that mountain, there's only one thing that you want in this world, and it is to get to the top of the mountain, right? And then you get there, and you realize that there's something more. If I only got to that mountain, I would be satisfied. I would be content. But then suddenly, that thing that you believed that would make you content, the top of that mountain, suddenly it's not high enough. When uh, I used to go to Colorado, or to Summit County, Colorado, every summer, um, and uh, most of you, you go in like, so, well, for one, Summit County is like Breckenridge, I don't know, all those places where you go ski. Uh, I, most of you, you go in Col- to go to Colorado, you, you go to like, um, you know, you go to ski, right? You go when there's, the, when there's snow, when there's a lot of people, when everything costs a lot of money, and all you can do is ski, which honestly sounds like my personal hell. So... I go in the summer when all of that's not true. And, uh, and so every year when I would go, whether I go with my family or go with a cross-country team or, or whatever it is, um, I, would always, uh, I would always hike a mountain, which if you think that I'm impressive for hiking a mountain, or anyone for that matter, just know that it's all relative to where the parking lot starts. Uh, some mountains, really high mountains, also have really high parking lots. Um, Anyway, so I was hiking a mountain. There was a, a, a mountain I was hiking that was a, uh, uh, a false summit, okay? And it was a, uh, I'm going to show you a picture here. This is a place called 10 Mile Range. Um, I'm just, just curious here. Anybody, who knows what this town is? Does anybody know? I was just curious. Okay, this is Frisco, okay? You might know it a little better because this is Lake Dillon, all right, if you're, if you're familiar with the area, Lake Dillon, or uh, Dillon and, and like Keystone are right here, okay, so some of you, if you're skiing, you kind of know where you are, this is a picture taken right off the highway looking towards a uh, 10-mile range, and uh, we would always stay, or I would often stay right there in, in Frisco, and, and this peak right here, this, this tallest, w- tallest one right there, um, that one is called Peak 2. Uh, now, if you could, you could do the entire 10-mile, uh, and it'll take you days, okay, but if you just want to go for a day, you can start